I shall start with free air television, commercial television, especially in the United States. Now think about it. They were a very strange kind of thing, of good, because they could not be commodified. And they were more like a sunset. How can you make people pay for it? Uh, so what happened was their broadcast was used to magnetize the attention of the audience before selling the attention of the audience to advertisers. When there is a will, there is a capitalist way of commodifying things. And then advertisers used the access to people's arrested attention to do something quite audacious, to enlist emotions, which had escaped commodification so far, to the task of deepening commodification. Let me <laughs> give you an example, because that sounds a bit complicated. It isn't really. Uh, I don't know how many of you have watched that great, splendid serial, Mad Men, uh, with Don Draper being the archetypal, brilliant advertiser at the heart of Mad Men. Uh, there was this scene when he's coaching his protege, a young woman called Peggy, on how to think of a chocolate bar, a Hershey bar. Draper caught the spirit of the times when he said to her, Peggy, you don't buy a Hershey bar for a couple of ounces of chocolate. And I'm quoting here. You buy it to recapture the feeling of being loved, the feeling that you knew when your dad bought you one for mowing the lawn. So this is it. It's the commodification of nostalgia. The nostalgia that was never commodified is being used by Draper, okay, in order to hyper-commodify a chocolate bar. That was the turning point of capitalism. Draper, I mean the fictional person who's writing the Draper role, was putting her or his finger on a fundamental mutation in the DNA of capitalism. Efficiently manufacturing things that people craved, that people already craved, was no longer enough with the rise of the big conglomerates in the 1920s-30s, and especially after the Second World War, the rise of what John Kenneth Galbraith, that wonderful economist of the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, he described that variety of capitalism that emerged from the rise of the conglomerates, especially after the Second World War, with the heavy role of government in regulating the global economy with Bretton Woods and so on. He called it a techno-structure. What changed with the techno-structure was that simply manufacturing things was not enough. The point of manufacturing was not to satiate existing needs. Manufacturing had become so mass-produced, so efficient, that manufacturing commodities had to go hand-in-hand -hand with manufacturing the desire for commodities. Now, we are all familiar with um, how commercial television works. This is the linchpin between the technostructure's capacity to produce all sorts of commodities and its capacity to manufacture our desire for those commodities. Then, once the internet, which had begun life as a planned system, came out of the military, and the academic market, the universities. Once, however, it was cannibalized, it was taken over by commercial conglomerates, the internet changed the principles of advertised, 
of advertising. It morphed them into something quite different. Instead of having Don Draper or the Drapers of the world, the advertisers coming up with concepts for commodifying our nostalgia in order to recommodify commodities, the internet allowed for the creation of algorithmic systems permitting person-specific targeting of advertisements that television could not support. We're all familiar with a kind of um, person-specific algorithmic-based target advertising targeting of Google, of Facebook, of TikTok, and so on. Now, at first, the first algorithms, what they did was something quite straightforward. They identified clusters of users, people with similar tastes, with similar similar search patterns in Google, in the Google engine, similar preferences. Those algorithms grouped them together to complete their searches, to make them more efficient, to suggest books, records to them, to us, films. But then came a major breakthrough. At some point, the algorithms ceased to be passive. Once algorithms could evaluate their own performance, they, the algorithms, began to behave like agents. They began to monitor and react to the outcomes of their own actions. At that point, they began not only to affect the people they surveyed, but additionally to affect themselves by the way people were affected by them. Before we knew it, the task of instilling desires in our soul was taken from the Don Drapers and the Peggy's of Mad Men from human beings running the advertising industry. And that task was now handed over to the Alexas and to the series, to all those talking algorithms, whether you have an iPhone, an Amazon Alexa, a Google Assistant, whatever. Now, those who question how real the threat of artificial intelligence is to white-collar jobs should ask themselves, what exactly does Alexa or Siri do? Ostensibly, Alexa is a home-based mechanical servant. In reality, Alexa or Siri or Google Assistant or any of those um, assistants, they are just the front end of a gigantic artificial intelligence cloud-based network that millions of us, if not billions of us, are training several billion times every second as we chat on the phone or move and do things while carrying our mobile phone, the system, this cloud-based algorithmic system, learns our preferences and habits. And as it gets to know us, it develops an uncanny capacity to surprise us with good recommendations about books and so on, even with ideas that intrigue us. Before we realize it, the system has acquired substantial powers to guide our choices, effectively to command us. With cloud-based Alexa-like devices or applications in the role once occupied by human beings like Don Draper, we find ourselves in the most dialectical of infinite regresses. Think of what it is that we do. In real time, real time, perpetually, we train the algorithm so the algorithm knows how to train us to do the things that are in the interest of the owners. And the more we do this, the faster the algorithm learns how to help us train the algorithm to train us, to train the algorithm, to train us, to train the algorithm, to train us, 
and so on and so forth. The owners of this type of algorithmic cloud-based dialectical command capital, or I shall call it for short, command capital. The owners of this command capital have the automated power to command us to do things of enormous financial benefit to themselves. Now, with such special powers, I do believe that the owners of substantial amounts of this command capital need to be called something other than capitalists, than traditional capitalists. Allow me to coin a term. I'm going to call them cloudalists from the cloud, where the algorithmic command capital that they own and which gives them so tremendous power over the rest of humanity, that's where it lives, on the cloud. So I shall call them the cloudalists. Now, how, how are they different, substantially different, to the owners of a traditional advertising firm like that featured in Mad Men, a firm whose ads back then in the 50s and 60s were also convincing us to buy things that we neither needed nor wanted. Huh? Is there a substantial difference? Well, think about it. The advertising firms of yesteryear, Sterling Cooper and Associates, I believe, was the one, the fictional one in Mad Men, what they did was they sold services to the corporations, trying to sell us things. However glamorous or inspired their employees might have been, they were traditional service sector workers, highly paid, you know, usually more drunk than usual <laughs> or than other workers, but they were traditional service sector workers. In contrast, in contrast, the cloudalists uh, who own the command capital, uh, to begin with, they don't have to have employees. These are algorithmic, cloud-based bits of software. And the hardware that allows them this infinite regress between our training them and them training us. This command capital, as I call, as I call it, gives its owners, whom I just called the cloudalists, to very new and very interesting kinds of power. The first is the power that cloudalists have to extract huge rents from manufacturers, in other words, from other capitalists, who, from manufacturers whose stuff they persuade us, the cloudalists or their command cap capital persuades us to buy because the same command capital that makes us want the stuff is the foundation of the platforms like Amazon.com where those purchases take place. It is as if Don Draper or his advertising agency were to take over the markets where the wares Don Draper advertises are sold. This is big. This is not just a mere extension of a service market. The advertiser is not just selling through command capital others' goods, but it actually owns the market or has taken over and replaced the market with a platform which is the same algorithmic cloud-based complex that creates the need in our soul for the stuff and sells it to us. Even though the owner of that command capital does not 
own the manufacturing progress, uh, process. Now, if you look at it through this prism, the cloudalists are turning conventional capitalists into a new vassal class. To continue watching this video, click the link in the top left or in the description below. Or visit iai.tv for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.